Thank you for tuning in. We hear a lot about new technology and data use, and we're experiencing more and more of it. Personally, with how we shop for, well, you name the item, big or small, and in how our music and entertainment is curated and delivered on, well, you name the device. New technology and better use of data is behind all of it. But what about in AEC? What about in the context of the changes to how we may work differently day to day and deliver for our clients moving forward? With so many of us in leadership still thinking that AutoCAD was a hard transition, what is the end game with Civil 3D and with the use of BIM? Are these just cool features and nice to haves? And will we as designers soon be forced to move beyond our personal spreadsheets, standard details, and notes on drawings to field locate, field verify, or field root? Well, today we're gonna to get a very specific picture of how technology and data are already changing our industry and what the implications and the benefits are for us as designers, construction professionals, and owners. Our guest today on the podcast is Sean Mahoney, CEO and visionary in resident at OAC Services. Sean has a long history of innovation, going back to his days as a hands-on building architect, collaborating with and thinking about the entire team during construction. In this episode, we dig into digital twins for both new and old buildings and sites, as well as some of the current and pending uses of autonomous construction, 3D printing, AI, and robotics. Although there's been some pushback, hurdles, and fears being worked through, the trends towards digital design, prefabrication, and modular construction are real. And so is the opportunity to attract more talent to our industry and meet the increasing demand by owners across the country and throughout our industry for greater value and greater cost, schedule, and quality assurance, which is already being made possible. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Sean Mahoney, president and CEO of OAC Services, and we'll be talking about advanced technology and data in AEC. Welcome to the podcast, Sean. Hey, thanks, Pete. Uh, it's great to be with you. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Well, excellent. Well, I'm excited that you're here. It's great to see you. Um, and I'm excited to, to dig into this topic of technology and data and things that we think we know a lot about, but then maybe we don't, and maybe we're a little scared of it. And so usually kind of break down um, some of these trends and, and what's happening like right now. But before we dive into that, um, can you share a little bit about you, your career background, what brought you to where you are today as president and CEO of OAC Services, and also share just a little bit about the firm itself? Sure, sure. Um, well, as for me, I'm an architect by training. Uh, essentially, Half of my professional career has been as an architect and half on the owner's representative side. Uh, most of the significant work I did as an architect was on the technical design side. And a big chunk of my work was on construction sites for prolonged periods of time uh, during the construction of large corporate commercial projects uh, for a leading technology company. Um, and while on site um, during construction, I was collaborating daily with the uh, contractors and owner, uh, really communicating and interpreting the design both uh, on and off the contract documents. And 
this this experience was really um, profound for me in realizing the value of collaboration and how much I learned from uh, from others. Uh, you know, design and construction is is truly a team sport. And it was during that time that I realized how I could better influence the success of projects by working, you know, closely or directly with the owner. Um, and, you know, being a design, uh, being a team sport, you know, any team owner needs a strong, strong coach, right, to lead the team. Um, and I had met OAC on one of those large commercial projects. And it was through that experience that, you know, led me to, um, to join OAC. Uh, a little bit about OAC, um, we're an employee-owned firm. We have professionals from all areas of the AEC industry. Um, you know, and it, as I said, I realized that I could provide so much more value to clients working directly with the owner, but also with the added knowledge and expertise of a, of a design team. So uh, I joined OAC in um, uh, 2005. I was made managing principal um, in the firm in 2015 and CEO and president in uh, 2018. Uh, and Truth be told, I really don't like the the label of owner's representative. I think it's it's uh, limiting to really what we do. Um, that is how most people recognize um, our profession in the industry. But I think design and construction performance management uh, better describes what we do for clients. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that's a great way to say it: performance management in a way because you're sort of yeah, that's exactly what, what you're doing in a way for the owner, right? Right. It's all about minimizing risk and providing predictable outcomes. Right. I, I do want to ask you, in your bio, you have um, not only, you know, president and CEO, but um, visionary in resident. What, what's a visionary in resident? That's the first time I've, I've heard that term. Well, um, on this uh, kind of collaboration journey and the digitalization of, of our industry, I started going to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, which, um, you know, I first thought was a gadget show, but turns out, you know, it's full of emerging technology across the whole spectrum of uh, business and, um, you know, uh, lifestyle and you know, going back, you know, really looking to try and identify trends and so forth in the industry that, um, you know, affect design and construction and, and uh, all business. Right. Well, I, I do want to get more into how you got started in that. And I know, I, and I know from our previous conversations, the Consumer Electronics Show was, was part of that. But maybe to level set a little bit and talk about, you know, what are, from your perspective, what are some of the, the newer aspects of technologies? Um, well, I want to get your perspective on some of these newer aspects of technologies that are being talked about. And, and in particular, you know, a digital twin. But what, what is a digital twin? And then I'd love to get your thoughts on what are some of the other sort of advanced uses of technology that are out there that, that you see that may be surprising for some? And I know like autonomous work and construction sequencing using automation and 3D printing. I mean, what, but maybe you start with digital twin. Like what, are, what is that and how are you seeing it being used and how relevant is it um, to the industry right now? Sure. So uh, it's definitely an emerging technology within the industry or, or an emerging practice. Um, I would define digital twin as a complete digital replica of the physical project you're planning to design, build, operate, and maintain. Um, you know, and I I strongly believe the use of digital twins can be a key tool in improving cost schedule and quality challenges across the industry. Um, 
you know, if we can build the project in the model first digitally, you know, we can then build it in the field with higher quality uh, speed and cost certainty. And, and that, I mean, but that's not a theoretical thing. I mean, that's happening now, right? And, and maybe, you know, th there's at least a subset of the industry that is, uh, well, I guess that's a question. Is there a subset of the industry that are using digital twins? And, you know, how is that working? Absolutely. So uh, we're a member of the Digital Twin Consortium, which is a broad-based organization, um, you know, really focused on advancing digital twin technology in uh, the AEC industry and others. Um, but we're, we're using digital twins on um, large projects and uh, really saw the uh, additional value in their use during the pandemic, right? During the pandemic, um, sites were limited, you know, access to sites were limited, or it was just a lot harder to access sites and so forth. So through the digital twin, we were able to take that digital twin, bring it right to our clients' desktops, zoom right in and, you know, analyze the problem they didn't have to worry about, you know, protocols on site or, you know, limitations and so forth. We brought it right to their desktop. And even uh, more importantly, you know, they could participate, completely understand the, uh, the problem or challenge for themselves, right? It was right there in front of them in, in real time 3D. Uh, the truth is a lot of our clients, you know, can't read. 2D drawings and certainly don't know, you know, BIM or building information modeling. So being able to bring the 3D uh, uh, imaging right to their uh, desktop, they completely understand the issue and, you know, get a better, get a better sense too of the value that the designers and contractors and engineers are bringing to them because they can, they can, um, through the discussions, really understand the expertise and knowledge that they're they're getting from their team. And is there? I mean, how does that? If if there was an owner who I, I want to design this in such a way that there's a digital twin, and I want to use that. I mean, what what does the design team need to do differently? Is it just we import, we design in you know 3D and BIM, and we then export it into this other thing? I mean, what? What, how is the process design process different if the result is a digital twin? Um, you're definitely required to design in, in BIM. So you're definitely going to be building information modeling for sure. And uh, every property, every site has a legal description or a basis of bearing. So, you know, you need to, you know, carefully set up the the process so that everybody's using the same basis of bearing or origin point but um, and then you know all the models can then be um, uh, merged and um, you know some of the digital twins that we're working with are multiple terabyte files and over a thousand models um, but uh, it's it's Certainly building information modeling, but a little bit more uh, planning. And then depending on what the end result is of the, um, the use of the digital twin, if you're planning to use it to operate and maintain the building, it gets far more complex. Um, our experience has been mostly where um, the design and construction team is, is building the virtual uh, digital replica of the project in the model ahead of the ahead of the construction, right? And at the very least, I mean, it all, all conflicts and that type of thing are are, are are identified way early in the process. But I'm sure there's a lot more benefits to that. I mean, what would I mean? Maybe for context, I mean, what scale project like as far as square foot or X million dollar projects do you see? owners investing in digital twins is there sort of a line out there or is this you know more modest projects or is it really larger scale projects now 
I think it's really what I would call mega projects, you know, over 500 million in values where you see the, at least that's where we're seeing the majority of uh, digital twins being employed. But uh, I think that's just because of the, the, the scale and uh, uh, complexity, but there's no reason why, you know, uh, a school project, for instance, couldn't use a digital twin. I could make a case that there's all kinds of advantages in having a, a digital twin of, a, you know, an elementary school. Right. And I would think just with the, with the cost and ease of technology always democratizing that it's going to be so much easier. I mean, there were probably just large projects back in the day that you used CAD for. Exactly. And, and, but now you would not not use CAD on anything. Exactly. And so it, it, that's the sort of seeing that trend coming. I mean, eventually, once you see the benefits, but if, I mean, what are, I mean, what would you say, just dive into this a little bit more broadly, if a, if a project does have a digital twin, what are some of the benefits on the, on the construction side? And then just if it existed, what are some of the benefits of the owner for having this during the life cycle of a building? Yeah. So uh, so during construction, there's there's lots of advantages. Um, I'll just uh, I'll give you a stat from a project that we're working on right now. That's uh, oh, it's probably a two hundred and fifty million dollar project. Um, the work that was being done by the contractor uh, monthly work in place was uh, roughly six million dollars or three hundred thousand dollars a day. And over, over the course of the last month, we've had two RFIs. So two questions about how many or where it's located for a $250 million project to get $6 million worth of work in place is pretty remarkable. So, you know, um, Digital Twin allows you to um, really designed for manufacturing. Um, you know, the automotive industry has got this figured out. You know, uh, the auto manufacturers don't stop the assembly line to answer RFIs, right? Everything is designed and built to be uh, fit and assembled in, in the right place at the right time. And I think, you know, digital twins allow us the possibility of turning construction sites into assembly sites or vertical assembly lines, if you will. Hmm. And, and, and so let's say an owner goes through this process, construction is eased, it's more predictable. And, and now I have, I'm operating my building and I have this digital twin. <clears throat> How do you see owners maybe using that moving forward? So, you know, just an example, uh, say there's a, a piece of electrical equipment on floor 50. And, you know, in the old days, we'd get a team, go up to floor 50, go into that location, try to identify what, you know, what the equipment is, what diagnose the problem, et cetera. With a digital twin, we would be able to click on that piece of equipment, pull up the, the uh, manufacturer's uh, spec on that, you know, understand the maintenance records for that piece of equipment. So, I mean, you'd have all the, all the basic information before ever stepping in, stepping foot into the building. And you could contact the manufacturer in Germany to help walk through the, the problem that, um, you know, you've identified with that piece of equipment. So, um, and then, you know, the potential is endless and I'm not a facilities operations expert, but, you know, you could put maintenance schedules in for simple things like filter changes and, you know, other routine maintenance and have alerts popping up. And, um, you know, a, a lot of time is wasted uh, for owners and uh, facility operators just getting the time to get there and diagnosing the problem, right? And um, that can all be done um, potentially ahead of time through the, through the digital twin. At least you know exactly what you're dealing with and you can prepare for that when you go to address the problem. 
Right. And you mentioned something to me in one of our past conversations about if, you know, say this is a hotel or, you know, and, and the lobby is going to be remodeled and there's a digital twin that you could almost throw on, you know, either walk through a model or put on VR and you could in the model just change paint colors and layouts and and all that would be experienced before you would redesign the model. I mean, redesign the actual or construct the remodel, the, the remodel that if you had the digital twin, there's a lot of walkthroughs that can be done. And, you know, if we change the color in this space, wow, look at the difference. Or can you speak a little bit about that? And it, obviously people who are, ad, you know, uh, advocating for this probably have a better way to say that. And so I was going to ask you, like, what, what is some of those remodel aspects or, or non-maintenance things down the road that could be beneficial? Yeah, well, I guess, um, Think about like a historic uh, preservation type project, right? You've got this building lobby that was built in the 1920s. Through a digital twin, you could, uh, and the the marble for that lobby is only available in Italy. Well, through the digital twin, you could send that file or share that file with the team in Italy to um, uh, provide the replacement materials or the the matching materials without, you know, having to have a site visit and field dimensions and so forth. Digital twins are, you know, to scale. You're able to, you know, accurately dimension right off the, right off the digital twin. Um, I will mention too that a lot of digital twin uh, in use today are really done in reverse. So that historic building renovation project that I just mentioned, you know, the designers are long gone, right? It was built in the 1920s. Well, a lot of people are, you know, using LIDAR and scanning these existing facilities and uh, creating a a digital twin after the fact, if you will. And, um, you know, we're, we're using drones on sites that are providing you know, within three millimeter accuracy of the existing conditions. So it's it's almost embarrassing in a way because you can scan the building to a higher accuracy than the, the uh, drawings that were, you know, created to build it in some cases. So um, we are going backwards, you know, creating digital twins through scanning as well. And that's actually a probably more prevalent in the industry right now than, you know, building up the digital twin from the beginning of the, the design process. Right. I mean, especially for any reno and, and I, I suspect, but maybe I'll, I'll ask the, the question. I mean, are, are those more modest projects size that are, are being sort of developed as a digital? Yeah. Well, um, you know, the 3d, uh, Cameras and so forth. I mean, they're so economical. The new iPhones have LiDAR uh, technology, uh, you know, within them. So the uh, equipment is, you know, much more uh, prevalent now in use in the in the industry. And, um, you know, as an architect, I'm talking about buildings, but there's also digital twins of sites that can be that can be utilized as well. And we had a we had an example of a project where it was a, a large civil project on the shoreline of Puget Sound within um, uh, uh, a city-owned, county-owned park. And um, uh, part of the work required uh, excavation along the shoreline. Well, in Puget Sound, we have a, a a salmon window that's pretty restrictive in terms of getting work done along the along the shoreline. So we used machine control. We took the digital twin, if you will, of the site, took those files, fed it into the uh, excavator, and were able to run twenty four seven. You know, essentially automated with um, you know unbelievable accuracy and that technology helped us work faster and get the work done within that restrictive uh, salmon window. So automation is something that, um, again, you go to 
CES and some of these other places, John Deere just came out with an autonomous tractor that, from what I understand, is just amazing as well. Right. And just program it and let and just have somebody fill gas. Right. <laughs> or, or, right. I mean, obviously, keep, watch filling, some keep filling it with fuel. Right. Well, the one other question, because and that's the autonomous like construction. One of which is one that's out there. How, if you're familiar, how is 3D printing being used in the industry? We're not. We're not. I mean, I, I've again. Um, the Consumer Electronics Show has lots of 3D printing, and there's large-scale concrete 3D printing that's happening. Uh, that's mostly, in in my experience, mostly on the residential side. You know, construction, the the jigs, if you will, and so forth. They're they're limited in size, so seeing more of that on the on the um, uh, residential side, but. Um, you know, there's metal, plastic, uh, concrete, you can 3D print anything. Um, I know, I, I will say that, um, again, fenestrations, historic renovations and things when you have, you know, materials on a building that you can't replicate um, today. I know that again, through laser scanning and 3D printing, they're using that technology to replicate, you know, a cornice of a building or something that needs to, to match and tie in. So, um, again, the, the technology is really helping um, those types of projects as well. Right. Well, I mean, with all this, I mean, obviously this change, this technology, and there's a, a bunch of different players, right? There's, there's owners, um, and there's the, you know, maybe investors you know, with the owners, there's, there's construction firms, there's the design community. Who, who do you think is driving technology the most? Or who, in your experience, who's, who's driving, who's the driver behind some of these new technologies? Well, I think it's, um, I, I, I think, again, as owner's representatives, we're, we're trying to help drive it from the owner's side. Um, you know, our industry has gotten a bad rap, um, in my view. Uh, if you look at lists of industries that adopt technology, you know, construction is in, um, construction is usually down at the, at the bottom, but, um, there's been some real challenges in, in adopting technology and design and construction. Um, you know, and we're now at a point where the technology is caught up. Um, simple things like just wireless connectivity on, on job sites. As I mentioned, these digital twin files can be multiple terabytes, right? Just being able to share that kind of file takes, you know, takes some um, infrastructure. And, um, but, you know, we're now at a point where um, our industry is essentially all digital and building information modeling is used more or less as a standard on all design projects, at least in my experience. So the technology is now caught up where, um, you know, it's, it's more efficient, it's repeatable, um, you know, so it's, it's being driven by owners, but it's being driven by competition too, and just uh, added value that can be provided to clients through uh, more predictable um, you know, predictable outcomes, um, cost certainty. Uh, if you've built it in the model and you, if you've designed it in the model and you've built it in the model, you have a much better handle on how much it costs and how long it takes to build, right? So if you're, if you're building that again, um, you know, you can uh, dial, sharpen your pencil, if you will, and provide a much better schedule and cost for that type of uh, building. Right. So just the fact that you're interested and knowledgeable, you know, in this as a you know practitioner. So could you take us back to like, when did you first really think about the technology aspects of architecture and engineering and design buildings? I mean, so what, what ultimately, or what originally sort of got you into wanting to learn about the advanced technology and the, the use of, of that in practice? 
Well, um, I'll definitely date myself here. Um, when I was in architecture school, architecture was all done by hand. And uh, when I entered the profession, CAD was just getting, getting started. Um, but in my experience working with contractors on site, um, I became more aware of the benefits of technology. Um, and uh, uh, funny story I'll share. So I, um, I met a brilliant guy who was with the contractor I was working with on one of these large technology campus projects in 1996. And he opened my eyes to the integration of our architectural design files into the site civil files and geolocating you know, all the buildings to state plan grids to ensure we're all, all the buildings were located properly and coordinated and so forth. And at that time I was integrating just site photos that I took into my AutoCAD drawings um, you know, in 1996, this was as close to real-time 3D as there was. And um, because our, our buildings were geolocated to the site civil plan, and it was essentially a math, right? All the coordinates. My, uh, my GC friend explained to me that, you know, he didn't need to reference all the fancy, you know, a1, A2, A3 grid lines and things we had on our drawings. All he needed was the northing and easting coordinates and he was good. So um, that realization led me to not even having to dimension everything on my drawings. I was just giving him the CAD files and he was building off our electronic design files. Um, and we, you know, in hindsight, we didn't realize how innovative we were back then. And um, our uh, employers may not have even approved of that practice uh, back then, but um, it definitely worked. And, um, you know, to where I referenced the funny story, you know, I'm proud to say that I recruited my good friend to OAC after 20 years of him improving his technology chops with national contractors. And he's now our chief innovation officer at OAC. You know, we're not a, a mega firm, we're 150 people, but you know, we see the value of technology and, and uh, consequently have a, have a chief innovation officer um, as part of our team. Right. And I, and I did want to ask you about that because you're doing some pretty interesting things. And I know you had a datathon. So I wanted to ask you about the datathon. But before we leave, like the, just on the construction, you mentioned the Consumer Electronics Show. What made you go to one of those? And what role does that play? And you mentioned a little bit about that. It's more than just the, you know, the, the latest widget. I mean, how did you first get to that? And what role does that still play in you considering and thinking about new ideas and new technologies and innovations? Yeah, well, again, the, the, as the technology spanned multiple industries, you know, I realized that, um, design and construction, you know, uh, was being digitized at a, at a um, uh, you know, ever accelerating uh, rate. And the, um, the technology they had at the Consumer Electronics Show dealing with um, wearables and um, exoskeletons and so forth, I'm like, hey, that could, that could apply to um, you know construction, so I wanted to wanted to learn more, and then you know being there just uh, opened up um, just a greater awareness for me um, regarding technology and and what could be um, leveraged in our work in design and construction. Um, you know, following um, a couple of uh, uh, visits to CES, I started participating heavily in uh, ENR's Future Tech Conference, and um, you know that's uh, an annual event, and it's you know a lot of technology providers, um, you know, selling their software systems to designers and contractors, and it really helped 
me. Uh, in fact, I was there with my chief innovation officer a few years back, and we identified a technology that um, was being sold to contractors, but it was all about real-time 3D and advanced photogrammetry. And we said, that's, that's an ideal product for us serving clients, even more benefits. You know, we saw more benefits than what they were selling it to the contractors for. It wasn't just kind of a progress documentation tool. We saw it as really um, real-time real-time uh, 3D tool that could be key to uh, delivering value to owners. Right. Excellent. Well, you, I know this summer that you had um, an event within your organization that you termed a datathon. What, could you describe what that, what, what was the genesis of it? What was it? And, and why did you do it? One of our strategic goals at OAC is to create value through data. And we're looking to we're looking to both create data internally through operational wisdom of our team, you know, sharing the expertise of everyone with everyone, and uh, externally to deliver value to our clients. So to help demonstrate the value of our own data, our strategic planning team came up with the idea of a datathon. Uh, based off the hackathon concept that a lot of uh, tech companies utilize. And we opened it up to our entire firm and provided uh, 10,000 bucks in prize money for the teams to compete. We had uh, six teams compete, which amounted to uh, 30 to 40 people. And each of the teams provided case study examples of um, high value data that we could collect. And, um, you know, the benefits were just amazing. We came away from the event with a, uh, first off, a better understanding of the value that in our own data. And we have uh, six fantastic ideas that will become uh, uh, service improvements and hopefully differentiators for us with our clients. Uh, and we're, we're planning a datathon too for later this year. and you know, may expand it to include clients and partners in the future. Well, excellent. I mean, de definitely you know, advancing the industry, your ability to serve clients through technology, I think that's, and engaging the company in that is, is real. It, that, that's just innovative thinking in that sense. You had mentioned on-site in those early days, sort of collaborating and, you know, maybe our employers wouldn't be so happy with the way we shared data and figured things out, but it got the job done. That, I mean, that, so that opens up the door for some of the technology. And I know some of the limitations and some of the consternation about it is some of the legal implications with this new technology. Um, what, as it relates to, you know, some of what we've been talking about or, or technology, the way you see it, what are some of those legal implications that are out there or being, you know, discussed and debated and, um, you know, and who's involved with those? Yeah. Um, well, this is, this is a real issue. Um, it's really always been an issue in the industry around who owns the, the data. And um, just to back up a little bit, you know, our industry has always been based on, on data. We just weren't able to, you know, access it, analyze it, and reuse it like we can today. Um, in the design and construction business, we're really in the information business. And um, the fun part is that the data isn't just in everyone's head these days. You know, we can, we can use it. But um, as it pertains to um, the legal issues, uh, you know, design and construction still considers, or the legal community um, looking at design and construction still considers 2D documents, the drawings and the written specifications as the instruments of service. You know, a BIM, a BIM model or a digital twin is um, uh, all electronic data provided by multiple entities. So, 
you've got multiple design and construction entities contributing to the creation of those BIM models and digital twins. Um, and in order to be fully coordinated and be a replica, right? I mean, it's it, everyone has to participate in the creation of it. So um, data ownership is an issue. You know, as owner's representatives, we always wanna ensure that the owner owns all that um, data. But um, just like in the past, uh, when you picked up a set of as-built drawings for that remodel project, you know, that it always came with, uh, hey, this is the best information to the best of our ability. You know, you need to verify it all. And if you're going to, it's up to you whether you use it or not. Right. So we're still in that situation where, you know, who owns the data and who's going to take responsibility for the, the accuracy of it. So, you know, in my view, as we move forward with digital twins, it's going to be the responsibility of the owner to, you know, maintain that, uh, manage that data and the accuracy of it. But we really need the, the professional organizations, um, you know, associated with the governance of the AEC industry to, um, you know, focus on this and, um, you know, help enable the technology to be used on a much, on a much broader scale. Um, you know, going back to the, the, um, uh, the uh, origin that, you know, I talked about on the, in my career, you know, coordinating the architectural and civil drawings, you know, every property has a legal description and a basis of bearing. So if you're all using that same basis of, of bearing, it's possible to, you know, allow for everybody to be responsible for their portion of the, of the digital twin. So it's manageable, but it requires careful setup and um, again, they're multiple terabyte files and can be thousands of uh, models. So uh, expertise and knowledge is, is uh, needed, search, certainly, um, and organizations like the Digital Twin Consortium and others are, are um, working to help, you know, enable uh, the use of digital twins across a broad range of industries. And do you, from a from a, what the industry is doing to sort of kick the tires on this or make it possible or really kind of flush out that these are the things we should be talking about. Is, is it a pipe dream or is it in its infancy or is there, are some of these discussions kind of well along? How do you see that sort of playing out to when the technology is available, it will now be, we will be enabled to use it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, the toothpaste is definitely out of the tube on, on this and um, owners are demanding more cost schedule and quality assurance. Um, and through technology, we can, we can provide it. Um, you know, just as an aside to attract talent to our industry, we need to be, you know, leveraging technology, all of the, the bright engineers and, um, you know, uh, tech savvy as, uh, as you say, everyone under 35 is a digital native, right? So to attract the, the, the bright digital natives to our industry, we have to be using and, um, you know, embracing technology. And, you know, again, um, we have to adopt a more design for manufacturing process. You know, the auto industry, aviation, they're, they're way ahead of us in that. Um, but uh, prefabrication, offsite construction, modular, however you want to refer to it, is getting more and more predominant in our industry. And it takes, you know, the modeling, um, design, and um, associated technologies to, to really help uh, move that forward. Well, I did, I did want to go there. I wanted to ask you how you saw, if you see things you know, playing out over the next couple of years or decade, how do you see some of these, um, how, how do you see technology and data playing out like on everyday construction sites? Well, um, 
robotics is something that's being used um, today for material handling and so forth. Um, uh, there's robots, um, one that uh, we haven't used yet, but we're, we're pushing for it is a robot that'll run, run around the floor of a, of a uh, building locating all the penetrations through slabs and you know color coding them whether they're electrical uh, mechanical fire sprinkler etc and actually marking with uh, paint right on the, the slab the precise location so you know historically that's been done by the plumbing team doing their layout, the electrical team doing their layout and you know so forth. And now that robot could be uh, running around the, uh, the um, floor plates, you know, at two, three in the morning, uh, precisely locating all of those things for the, uh, for the teams the following day. Um, and again, uh, safety is a big issue and the exoskeleton and and wearable technology, um, you know, simple things like um, uh, stitching in lighting right into the vests and and jackets and so forth that the workers wear. Um, saw a technology that um, there were sensors in boots, so that when um, you could set alerts for work if you were Oh, installing tile, right? You're on your your knees, you know, installing the tile. The sensors would tell you that after, and I'm I'm making these numbers up, but you know, after 46 minutes, fatigue creeps in that, you know, you need to stand and stretch and so forth and take a break before going back to work. So, you know, workers will be having these sensors in, you know in uh, their boots and their clothing and so forth that'll help, you know, uh, help them do their job better and stay and stay healthier doing it. Well, that's, that's interesting. I mean, if you, you mentioned, you know, things like, you know, prefab design and construction and construction sites really kind of being assembly sites and you know, almost like for vertical buildings, like vertical assembly lines in, in a way, how, how do you see that changing the designers in our industry? I mean, how, how do you think design changes over the next decade? I think that uh, I'll just start off by saying, I think um, I've met some designers that are, are really scared of this and they think that, you know, technology is going to take their job away. And um, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think that, and I think that um, offsite construction prefabrication is going to get more and more prevalent. Um, you know, I look at um, some of our clients, you know, once you design the perfect corporate campus kitchen that works perfectly for your operator and provides the right employee experience for your, for your company, why would you pay another team or teams to design alternatives to that that would be in your other offices. You could take that design that you know works perfectly for you and just replicate it in all the other uh, facilities. So I think that there'll be a lot and doing it in a digital twin, you would know exactly how long it takes to build and how much it costs potentially as well. Um, and you could pre-order equipment associated with that, you know, and establish relationships with suppliers on that equipment because it's perfect and it works. Um, I recently visited a uh, prefabrication, robotic prefabrication facility um, in Phoenix where they uh, build prefabricated uh, toilet rooms for hospitals, hotels, um, you know, multifamily residences and so forth. And I think the number, I think the numbers I heard were, um, you know, a, 
uh, a team of three, three workers could put 27 toilet rooms in, in a day. And, you know, these are absolutely completely done, tested, inspected, you know, you, you set them down and um, they're ready, you know, they're ready to go. And um, they're shipping, you know, they're shipping those all over the, all over the country. And the, um, you know, there's, there's not a huge delta in cost associated with the, the prefabrication, the, you know, the materials and everything are the exact same as you would um, build on site, but it's just the, it's just the speed and the, the quality control. And, you know, when you're pre-manufacturing uh, exterior skin components, right, they come fully waterproofed and so forth. So, you know, you're not trying to waterproof um, uh, panels on the 20th floor in October in Seattle in the wind and in the wind and rain, right? The panels are coming out already uh, waterproof, verified, inspected, and so forth. So again, predictable outcomes, cost certainty, uh, it's going to get more and more um, uh, standard within the industry. Well, in addition to like the prefab and, hey, we know this layout works, so we want to replicate this. Any thoughts on artificial intelligence and, and AR, AI from a design perspective that you see maybe being used now or maybe being used in the fairly near future? Yeah, so um, this, is, uh, this is an active area too of exploration within the industry. And again, trying to um, provide predictable outcomes and um, uh, learning from, you know, uh, uh, met, uh, installation methodologies and so forth, what works, what doesn't, and machine learning and being able to uh, build off that. Um, again, uh, there's variances between um, design and construction across the country or, you know, different different parts of the world, right? So sequence of things, you know, you can uh, learn from uh, through AI and, um, you know, create, identify those repeatable patterns, right? And then be able to communicate the assembly sequence um, along with, you know, what, uh, what type of pipe it is and um, precisely where it goes. You can, um, you know, again, through the digital twin have have that uh, added um, AI component to, to help on the uh, installation sequences and phasing. And do you see that happening now? Is that yeah. a real thing? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So you're, you're in Seattle. Um, you have offices all around the, the, the West Coast, but you're headquartered in Seattle. Do you see a difference? I mean, and that's, you know, Silicon Valley North, right? I mean, like Seattle is, is, is a hot spot for a lot of technology. Do you, do you think a lot of what you're talking about is just, hey, this is sort of technology hub based, or do you see this around the country, or do you see differences in how technology is being embraced and even like building design methods and standards? And how do you, what's your perspective on sort of across the U.S.? and uh, how how technology is being used and embraced? Well, I'm sure I'm sure some uh, people will disagree with me here for sure. But Seattle, in my view, and I've been here 30 years, is a little bit unique. There's uh, and maybe because it's the the largest city in the in the northwest, you know, quadrant of the of the country. But uh, there's a lot of uh, and historically, there's been a lot of uh, uh, large design and uh, construction uh, firms that have been headquartered in in Seattle, and I think with all the uh, technology, you know, Silicon Valley North, if you will, I think there's um, maybe more openness to um, using and awareness of technology. But I think everything that we've talked about today is happening all across the all across the country um 
you know, the, uh, the ENR Future Tech Conference is in the Bay Area every year. So again, I think there's um, maybe regionally a little bit more awareness of technology or familiarity, but, you know, everything that we're talking about is, is happening all over the place. All right. Well, as we as we look to close here, I mean, I know there is there's a fear um, to some degree of technology, and maybe it's because we just don't quite understand it. And it's ha it seems like change is happening so fast and furious. Like I haven't figured out what changed two years ago, let alone what's changing now and where this is things going. But any as it relates to technology, advanced technology and data use. Is, do you have anything else to share or add that we haven't spoken about that would really help? firm leaders, you know, design firm leaders, but also construction firm leaders, you know, feel more comfortable or take advantage of some of the opportunities of the, the, the um, uh, take opportunities of the data that's available and the use of new technology? Yeah. Um, thanks for this question. Yeah. I, I would really caution leaders and leadership teams to make sure they have in-house expertise or you know, other experienced technology partners to help them select the right tools and systems for their business. There are lots of costly software systems out there and they're all trying to be all things to all people. Um, and uh, believe me, it's easy to get attracted to the, to the new shiny thing. Um, in my experience, it takes uh, and what we're seeing in the industry, many different software tools and systems that all need to be able to, to work together to provide real value. So uh, my advice is to choose wisely, um, get some help in uh, accessing your needs. Um, honest truth is there's a lot of technologies out there that simply don't work. Um, at OAC, we've got an amazing team and, you know, we'd be happy to help people assess technology needs and, you know, provide lessons learned from our perspective. Um, you know, our clients hire us to know, not learn on the job. So you don't want to, the last thing you want to do is sell your client on paying more potentially for a technology that'll save time and money and then have it not work out. and you know, cost more and take longer to complete. Right. There's a huge payoff in the on the back end and maybe that, you know, as far as like, you know, confusion during the construction process, but it does take a more upfront effort. So you want to be confident that the upfront effort is going to be half the payoff towards the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, again, a lot of things don't work. So, um, you know, right tool for the right job. Right, but the, the trend is definitely moving towards technology. And absolutely, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, um, and the train is in the background and that train has left the station. It is gonna be a technology driven industry. <laughs> how, how can listeners get in touch with you to learn you know, more about the great things that you're doing and, and um, about, you know, connect with you and learn more about what, what OAC is doing? Sure. Well, I'm uh, happy to share my email and uh, LinkedIn addresses. I try to uh, learn something new every day and would love to get in touch with listeners and offer whatever help I can. All right. Well, excellent. Well, I, I, I have those links and I'll put those links uh, in the show notes and um, I'll even put a link in. I know um, we talked about, and I think you previously sent me uh, an ENR article that talked about your data thought that you know that, that this past summer so well excellent well sean thank you very much for for sharing about technology um and and how it's being used today to really add more value uh, or uh, to to clients to owners uh, but really help advance our industry absolutely well uh thanks for the opportunity and again um uh, love to hear uh from listeners on what technologies they're using and that are that are working for them and, um, you know, help share, help share our past experience as well. Well, excellent. Well, thank you. And um, look forward to connecting with you again. Thanks, Pete. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. 
And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.